I promised you last week, today we kickstart an eight-part series on financing change in Africa. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mungwa. Financing Change in Africa is a collaboration between the Africa Climate Conversations, the African Development Bank, and the Climate Investment Fund, or CIF. Now, to give us a background on the Climate Investment Fund, CIF, and the portfolio of work CIF has implemented with its implementing entity, the African Development Bank, I'm joined today by Mafalda Duarte, the CEO of the Climate Investment Fund, and Gareth Phillips, the Climate and Environment Finance Manager at the African Development Bank. Thank you, Mafalda and Gareth, for joining us. Mafalda, when we're talking about CIF, what are we talking about? So we are uh, generally talking about, you know, a mechanism, what we call in the jargon, um, multilateral climate finance mechanism that was established at, at a difficult point in time in history, in 2008, um, in the backdrop of you know, financial crisis and um, when the international climate negotiations weren't going so well. So it's actually remarkable that uh, developed countries and developing countries and the multilateral development banks came together to set this up uh, with, a, with a vision. Um, so I think, you know, just for those who are listening, it's important to put things into context. In 2008, it wasn't easy to talk about renewable energy investments. Um, there was barely any renewable energy investments, if one excludes hydropower, of course, in um, most African countries um, and in general in, in many other parts of the developing world. Today, we, we talk quite a little bit about common financing platforms and programmatic approaches. Um, and people, you know, interpret this in many different ways. But, you know, again, at that point in time, these were not conversations that were necessarily happening. And what we have demonstrated is that this notion of bringing institutions like African Development Bank and other multilateral development banks together uh, into a partnership broadly at the global level, but in the country, and by providing them with this lower than market cost finance that is predictable, that takes on risks that you know they themselves can't take, uh, other governments and private sector can't take, uh, what this can actually do. Um, moreover, uh, one of the very interesting features of our business model is that we bring the multilateral development banks together, uh, but also the governments and the private sector and civil society, another development partners. And at the country level, they are to articulate a, a joint vision of what the investments are going to be, what a, what a collective of investments will do to start bringing about structural changes. Um, so what we have seen uh, with our work is that not only we had an impact on in specific countries, um, on policies and strategies, but very importantly, we have created markets where they didn't exist. So we have now financial institutions providing lines of credit for energy efficiency and renewable energy where they weren't providing before. We have the cost of the certain technologies like concentrated solar power having come down 
and we have contributed to that. Uh, we've contributed to learning curves, uh, different stakeholders, including private sector, learning from these investments. Um, and some of the private sector sponsors speak about this quite openly. Uh, and also, you know, private sector investments themselves. I mean, this is also always a, a key objective is how do we uh, enable the private sector capital uh, to, to be channeled and applied to these type of investments. And that's what we have seen as well. Um, so with the Climate Investment Funds, um, th this is what we were set out to do. And, and we have, you know, various, the testimonies from the countries really, and the people, the beneficiaries, but we also have, you know, independent evaluations attesting to the transformative impact uh, of the work that we have collectively done. And of course, you know, you asked about uh, Africa in particular. Um, Africa uh, it receives around one third of our funding, so our total funding. So for the, for the audience who doesn't know, it's slightly above 8 billion, but, you know, Africa uh, receives around one third um, of of the of these resources and you know some high level uh results um that you know we we are expecting in african continent is for example renewable energy install capacity of 4.5 gigawatt already we have 1.3 but we are on track to uh, to achieve 4.5 and just again to give a sense to the audience this is according to the to, to my uh, information, uh, 4.5 gigawatt is around doubling of Ivory Coast total install capacity. So we are not even talking about renewable energy install capacity, just the total, the, the doubling of Ivory Coast total install capacity. Um, but, you know, the other feature that I think, and I, I was alluding to the private sector coming in alongside us, uh, which I think it's, it's really, really uh, worth noting, uh, for every one dollar of our, you know, below market rates and and risk taking resources or capital, uh, we mobilize around ten other dollars, um, and one third of these ten other dollars is from private sector. Um, so this just shows again, you know, how public capital. In, in, in our case, of course, our resources are from from uh, developed country, developed countries, and and this is these are public resources. How can they be used effectively to to generate the results, but also you know bring alongside the, the private capital? Just to close on this particular question, I think um, it's it's really important for people just in general to understand that. You know, our shared future, which needs to be a future that is, you know, aligned with internationally agreed climate goals, because that's what we are all relying on collectively, globally, as humanity, will very much be decided in developing countries. Um, and so, including Africa, where we know that, you know, economic growth rates are going to, uh, will be on the increase and, and population growth as well. These are also the, the countries and the markets where the best opportunities um, exist and will exist uh, to, uh, to not only, you know, of course, make the investments, but 
really advance this general overall goal of putting us in a in a low carbon net zero uh, path. But before we actually talk about the vision, I'm wondering, apart from renewable energy, whether there is another pillar that the CIF uh, funds concentrate on or invest in? Yes, yes. So we 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 invest quite a bit on energy, uh, and as I was saying, you know, energy access. Our focus of our work in energy access is Africa, um, but we equally uh, support sustainable forest management and enhancement of livelihoods of uh, you know communities that are dependent on forests. Um, and we have, you know, one of the, the large resilience uh, programs in, in this context of the, the multilateral climate finance. And I have actually had the pleasure of visiting some of these particular projects. I visited, um, you know, our forest portfolio in, in Ghana, um, a project in, in Ghana with a private sector company, a very innovative model that, you know, brings about benefits to the private sector company, to the government in the form of revenues and to the communities because of the employment opportunities, um, but also because of other investments that are done like solar water pumps and others in, in the communities themselves. I also visited um, projects in Mozambique um, where again, you know, the African Development Bank has a, a, a project to enhance climate resilience of farmers in Gaza province, um, which is a, a very drought prone um, province. We work there on enhancement of rural roads as well to, to support access to markets. Uh, we worked on uh, rehabilitating uh, canals, which of course for irrigation purposes is very important. Th these are the, the types of projects that uh, are, are really making uh, a, a big difference. And, and there are, you know, big examples in really, I mean, I visited the Burkina Faso as well, where again, African Development Bank also is part of that incredible program, um, Niger, um, Zambia. So those are countries where, you know, we have programs uh, in sustainable forest management, enhancement of livelihoods, uh, building climate resilience of communities uh, with with very solid results. Mm -hmm. So, Mufalda, CIF is not the only climate financing mechanism, right? In terms of when, uh, why is it, especially when it comes to the forefront of dealing with climate action in developing countries and specifically in Africa, why is it so critical? Why is it so important? I mean, it is because, uh, Sophie, it's because of what I was mentioning before. We, you know, of course, uh, as you rightly said, we are one of several. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, what we have to do as a collective and we, you know, we are doing those efforts as, as well with, with other funds that are also multilateral in nature is to come to an understanding what is the comparative advantage of each, um, what are they best place to do and, and really um, focus on, on that. Um, in our case, what we see as our uh, comparative advantage is precisely bringing in the multilateral development banks together with other partners, with governments, with private sector in country and talk about, you know, these coherent interventions that can, can tackle policies because we have the, that flexibility. We can provide technical assistance and grant resources to help governments tackle with the regulatory and policy environment. 
But at the same time, you know, we can provide financing to do the, the, the project design. So all of the studies that are necessary to so do that, uh, we have that flexibility as well. But then we put quite a lot of emphasis um, on the institutional capacity side and on the investment side. Um, so we focus quite a bit on how do we influence the systems change. And systems change, you know, you can achieve in different ways. Certainly by, by, by building the capacity or strengthening the institutional capacity, the, the, the policy environment. Um, but, you know, by creating markets, when you create markets, you know, the markets then continue to exist, uh, even, you know, without our interventions. Um, and, you know, our, our business model is one of, of scale. I mean, without scale, it's difficult to see how one influences, for example, um, technology costs or how one influence, you know, really global or regional uh, learning curves. I mean, there is a need for a certain scale. So there are other models out there for other funds that, you know, uh, are more focused, for example, on direct access by uh, developing countries. And that's equally uh, important. Um, but our our model, of course, we work closely with the governments. I mean, all of our all of our work is is anchored into developing country governments taking the leadership. Um, but these things, you know, they 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 they, they are delivered di differently, um, and and they all have merits in their own way. How do you see um, see helping, uh, especially achieve the Paris Agreement goal? Uh, look, what I'm particularly proud of, of what we have collectively done um, with, you know, colleagues in African Development Bank, other MDBs, the governments and others, is that, you know, we have demonstrated that things are possible in a context where everybody might be thinking it's not possible. So I gave you an earlier example of, okay, nobody was talking about, I mean, nobody was talking about renewable energy back in 2018, a lot of these places. I even remember within the, you know, the African Development Bank sitting with several colleagues and they're and not just in African Development Bank, you know, in the World Bank was the same thing. You know, a lot of the power engineers, um, you know, having strong reluctance vis-a-vis uh, -vis renewable energy for a variety of reasons, cost being one of them, other because of intermittency and all of that. But, you know, we have, but th that's where this type of concessional finance like ours come in. Um, and we have demonstrated that, you know, in context where people thought it is not possible, we have demonstrated it is possible with the right, you know, financing partnerships uh, coming together. Um, it is it is possible. So I, I like to say if it was possible, then, of course, now the, 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 the targets are quite ambitious. It is possible now um, and, you know, we will need to continue to um, carve out, um, you know, and support investments that have not yet occurred like we have done in back in 2008. Um, and that's going to be important. It's going to be important to scale up what we have seen that works. Um, so all of that will be necessary and really, you know, time is of, of the essence, you know, our contribution with the contribution of so many others and initiatives and, and mechanisms out there. You know, time is of the essence. I think people talk about speed and depth of 
the transformation that is ahead of us, it is really daunting. <laughs> um, but again, you know, I, 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 I'm always very hopeful because of what I have seen. It's possible even in, in, in very different um, contexts. But the, um, I do agree with the developing countries um, when they say that there has to be, you know, a significant level of ambition collectively, internationally, to support developing countries, um, make those investment decisions and the investment choices and policy choices. Um, so I think, and, and we have, you know, we've also uh, contributed by, you know, really demonstrating the, the power of concessional um, finance. So maybe I, I close with this to say, you know, we have gone through the, the same exercise that was done back in 2008 and uh, thought, okay, what are now the, the, the areas that really require, deserve that focus, that um, investment at a significant scale to have, you know, significant impacts. And we've basically realized that we are going to continue to focus on energy transition. Um, now, this time around, continuing to have a focus on energy access, but also on renewable energy integration. So not so much on renewable energy power generation because the costs have come, have come down considerably, but more in allowing the power systems to really take on all of this renewable energy capacity. Um, the other one is support to coal transition or accelerating coal transition. Um, the third is the decarbonization of the industrial sector, uh, which is an area that is in, you know, very much um, hasn't received nearly enough attention as it needs. Um, and then, you know, we, we have collectively decided that we should focus on cities. And this is going to be, you know, not just because of COVID-19 right now, we have seen how urban environments have been particularly impacted um, and vulnerable communities in those urban environments. Uh, but we do know that um, many, many cities in Africa are going to grow considerably uh, in the next five to 10 years. And there's a real opportunity there to, to really work with the authorities, national and, and uh, municipal authorities, to test new urban development models. So that's an area which you know, we want to focus as well. And then last but not least, of course, not at all, because that's where we have seen impressive gains in, in Africa is all of the nature-based solutions. So integrated investments in, in forestry, in ecosystem preservation, biodiversity, agriculture, and bringing all of the lessons that we have learned through our climate resilience work and forestry work uh, to, the next, uh, to the next level. And finally, um, because, you know, we do know everybody talks about uh, the level of investments that is needed. You know, most of this financing needs to come from private capital. So we, we are also, you know, exploring ways to, to even achieve better results than we have achieved in, uh, in that area uh, in the future. Um, so we, we would like to see, you know, our co-financing ratios on private sector um, go even further. And I, and I think there, there, there are ways and there are significant opportunities because 
we see big shifts internationally in terms of, of and the Paris Agreement was critical for that in terms of setting a, a very strong signal that, you know, we are now starting to see being translated in countries in terms of policies as well and, 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 and regulations and all, and all of that. Um, I think we will see, and we are seeing private sector more and more interested. Yes, yeah, so of course, as I said earlier on, um, AFTB is, uh, <laughs> I almost would call it my alma mater. <laughs> Um, in the institution, in the countries that we were working on, um, it is our, you know, a, our key partner uh, in Africa, um, uh, alongside with the World Bank uh, Group. Um, I, I had said earlier, um, you know, that we around thirty percent of our resources uh, are directed to Africa around 1 billion of resources are being channeled through the African Development Bank. Um, and, you know, all of the results, the actual results that I was talking about earlier in terms of Africa, uh, a very significant part of that uh, will be delivered by uh, the African Development Bank. Um, and, and, and we just have, uh, you know, as I was referring to as well um, earlier on, um, we, uh, you know, we have a very solid portfolio. Uh, I'm very glad to see, you know, from our joint efforts in, in Ghana, for example, in that private sector operation, now African Development Bank is trying to scale that up uh, themselves uh, in other parts of the continent. Uh, I think we, we are collectively learning uh, from the various investments in the various sectors um, and taking that into other countries as well. Um, so, you know, this, this has been and continues to be a, a really uh, solid uh, partnership and I am really looking forward to, in the context of our new strategic areas of focus, uh, continuing with that very solid partnership. African Development Bank has been a safe implementing agency since 2010, right? How does... Yes, uh, that's correct. Okay, so basically, just want to understand how the, the FDB CIF portfolio looks like in 10 years of partnership. Uh, well, let me start then by looking back at, at what we've achieved to date. Uh, and indeed, uh, it's more than 10 years since we've been an implementing entity with the climate investment funds. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we have built a very substantial portfolio uh, of projects uh, uh, with the help of funding through the climate investment funds. So about one third of SIF funding has come to Africa and yeah. uh, we haven't implemented all of that. Some of the other MDBs uh, are involved as well, but uh, we have mobilized uh, about uh, $900 million, mm -hmm. uh, actually $867 million of finance from the climate investment funds, uh, of which uh, the bank has then, to which the bank has then added a further $1.9 billion, so almost $2 billion, so that our total portfolio of our investments uh, using the SIF uh, uh, funding is about 2.7 billion. But what's very impressive uh, is the two, two more factors. Uh, first of all, this has um, mobilized uh, an additional $12.8 billion of co-financing from other sources of finance. So that's other sources of public and private sector finance, which means that for every dollar that SIF has invested through the African Development Bank, 
into Africa, we have managed to mobilize about another $15, which is a very strong leverage ratio uh, and really shows how much we've been able to uh, achieve with that, with that funding. Now, uh, those funds have been invested into um, projects in 27 countries. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, 27 projects in 27 countries. Uh, and uh, we've mobilized uh, a number of project preparation grants uh, and we have more projects that are in the pipeline. Uh, and in fact, seven projects have already been fully implemented. But in terms of some of the uh, uh, results that we've achieved over the past 10 years, we have used SIF funding to install 800 megawatts of capacity mm -hmm. for renewable energy. Uh, we have over 300 hectares of land covered under reforestation and sustainable forest management. And over 400,000 people have been supported to cope with the effects of climate change. Mm. So we see that the uh, the portfolio of projects that we've managed to build with SIF funding over the past 10 years, uh, I think by all comparisons, stands up extremely well uh, in terms of our results, our mobilization and leverage ratios, uh, and uh, the fact that we have seven projects that have been now fully implemented uh, over that time scale. Um, so uh, I think, uh, you know, a very strong portfolio as to what's been achieved in the past. And, and I think that is a good indication uh, of uh, what we could achieve in the future if donors will capitalize the SIF uh, to a similar or greater extent than we would be able to, to move forward. All right. And just just to highlight some of the projects that you can actually say what SIF AFDB portfolio has achieved. Yes. OK, so let me um, let me take some examples across the different uh, the different um, programs that the SIF implements. So starting with SREP, uh, scaled up renewable energy projects. Um, so, for example, we have completed the implementation of the Menengai Geothermal Development Project in Kenya. Mm -hmm. Uh, under the Clean Technology Fund, we have three projects that have been completed. Uh, two of them are in Morocco, uh, the Wazazart Concentrated Solar Power Project and the Nur 2 and 3 Concentrated Solar Power Projects uh, in, uh, in Morocco. And in South Africa, we've completed the implementation of a wind-powered project with ESCOM. Uh, then uh, we've completed two projects uh, with uh, the uh, Forest Investment Programme, or FIP. Uh, one in Burkina Faso, gazetted projects, participatory management for mm -hmm. Red Plus, uh, and also a second project engaging local communities in Red Plus and enhancing carbon stocks in Ghana. Mm -hmm. uh, and then under the pilot program for climate resilience, we have completed the implementation of the sustainable land and water resources project in Mozambique. Uh, you know, I think it's 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 very significant to uh, you know to complete. Uh, the uh, the implementation of uh, uh, of projects within a time frame of ten years from start to finish is uh, is a major achievement because uh, as some of your listeners may know it takes a long time to approve and mobilise funding uh, to then disperse it and, and actually implement it in the field uh, and complete projects so this uh, speaks volumes towards uh, the way that the climate investment funds have been set up and the way that the MDBs, including the African Development Bank, have been able to interact with the climate investment funds to get those funds out the door, to get them invested into the projects and to start achieving.
results. Gareth, the major issue for Africa has been uh, the push for her, making sure that they have uh, money uh, for adaptation. I'm just uh, listening to you, and there's a lot of um, projects, that successful projects that have actually done with uh, this uh, CIF uh, funding. Looking into the priorities for Africa, how would you say that this particular climate finance is going to help the, uh, the, the continent tackle issues of climate change and achieve the goals uh, for the Paris Agreement? So thank you. So I think, um, you know, adaptation is a major challenge for the African continent. Um, uh, as you may know, I think seven out of the 10 most vulnerable countries, uh, most vulnerable to climate change are African countries. We have the vast majority of the world's least developed countries that are terribly exposed to the impacts of climate change. And 70% uh, of Africa's workforce, including 80% of its women, rely on income from the agricultural sector. So these are people who are very exposed to the impacts of climate change. Mm. And this concept of adaptation and resilience is becoming increasingly important. It has been somewhat overlooked. And, and you know, I often think of it as the poor sister uh, of, uh, of mitigation. Uh, and there's lots of reasons why mitigation gets so much finance. But now there is an increasing interest in uh, um, providing resources for adaptation. And I think countries are starting to realize uh, how important adaptation is. Now, from Africa's point of view, there's, there's a number of reasons uh, why that's so important. And one of them that isn't very sort of widely understood is that actually it's a lack of adaptation and poverty that drives Africa's major source of greenhouse gas emissions. So adaptation and mitigation are linked. For most people in Africa, particularly poor people, they don't have choices over what resources they use. They have to use the natural capital that surrounds them. And what that means in, in practical terms is they burn biomass. They collect firewood and manure or dung and, and charcoal for cooking, for example. And they farm the soil in an unsustainable way because they don't have any choice. Uh, to, to do anything else. And this, these activities release greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere. And that is why, it's no coincidence, but that is why Africa's major source of greenhouse gas emissions comes from the forestry, agriculture, and land use sector. It's not from energy consumption. It's, okay, that's a growing area, but currently the major source is from land use. And it's that burning uh, of biomass and the unsustainable practices that poor people are forced to do because they have no other choice. So if we can help those poor people by making them more resilient to climate change, we can help them climb out of poverty and stay out of poverty. And then they can start to improve their quality of life. They will have more choices and they will be able to, for example, invest in clean cooking technology. Uh, and, and that can still be biomass, but used much more effectively, or it can be uh, uh, bottled gas or uh, ethanol, um, bioethanol and so on, lots of different technologies that they can use. Uh, and those activities will significantly reduce greenhouse gas emissions whilst also improving the quality of life for Africans. So adaptation is particularly important, but it faces a number of challenges because many adaptation projects don't deliver cash flows in the same way that renewable energy does. It's relatively easy to finance a renewable energy project because you get strong cash flows from selling that electricity. Sometimes it's not financially viable and you just need a little bit of concessional finance to make it work. But adaptation needs more than that. Uh, and um, one of the programs that uh, we're working on at the African Development Bank, which the private investment funds have supported, mm -hmm. is the creation of the adaptation benefits mechanism, which mm -hmm. is designed to help pay project developers to deliver adaptation benefits.
Yeah. So a lot of interesting work going on around adaptation, uh, and you're right to highlight it as a, as a very important aspect uh, for African development. Current climate finance has been a push and pull um, issue when it comes to having funds for climate change. But I'm wondering, in terms of uh, the CIF, the multilateral development bank kind of models, uh, banks models whereby uh, fund doesn't come from one particular source. But I'm wondering, how does this kind of model of uh, raising funds help in terms of achieving the implementation of the pipeline projects that CIF and AFDB has actually been concentrating on? Thank you. So I think the um, you know the CIF has been very successful in uh, in in raising funds uh, in the past. They've had very strong capitalization from countries such as the UK and the United States and, and Japan. Uh, they're some of the major donors uh, into the CIF, and I, I think the results that I presented earlier speak to the value that has been achieved from that uh, that process. And a lot of that is down to the uh, model that uh, CIF uses to approve uh, and disperse funds. And, uh, you know, we often say that the CIF was designed by the MDBs for the MDBs. And it's true, the multilateral development banks are the only agencies that implement the CIF and access the funds. But what's very interesting is that the CIF uses the MDBs approval processes uh, to, uh, to, to, to approve the disbursement of funds. So for example, when the African Development Bank's board approves uh, a, 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 fund, a project that has CIF funding, that approval is also taken by the Climate Investment Funds and the, the um, uh, subcommittees uh, of the, the Climate Investment Funds. They ask questions and so on, uh, and they have an approval process, but they rely very heavily on the MDB's approval process. And that means that we can work very efficiently with one set of documentation, uh, and we, uh, you know, and, and that's how we've managed to get these funds out the door relatively quickly and, and put them to good use. Now, of course, the other big fund uh, are in uh, in the field at the moment is the Green Climate Fund, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they have a different approval process, which requires the, the MDBs to not only get their own bank approval, but also to submit different documentation to the GCF for their board approval. And that means that we have to do significantly more work now. I'm not saying that one model is right and one is wrong. They are different models and we need diversity in the way that we can access those funds because, as I said, the SIF is only for MDBs, whereas the Green Climate Fund yeah. promotes direct access and allows other kinds of entities to access the GCF funds. So we both play, you know, both funds play to different markets. And as I say, we need that diversity. But the SIF has been very successful uh, in mobilizing funds and, uh, and quickly responding to the needs of developing countries. And, you know, I think that it's very important that we continue to have a diversity in approaches uh, and, um, you know, that that we really want to see uh, the donors capitalizing both these kinds of funds and indeed other funds. Of course, there's the Global Environment Facility and the Adaptation Fund uh, and then bilateral contributions. But we really like to see diversity uh, in the sources of funding. Thank you, Gareth. Unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I just would want you to um, finalize and just uh, give us your final word. Uh, well, just very briefly, I think there's one other aspect on the climate investment funds that where they've been particularly transformational. And this was they, they set out uh, in 2010 uh, to really advance the concept of programming. And they had this focus on programming for climate related activities. So uh, the, the mechanism for accessing the SIF funds involved the MDBs working together with the host governments and stakeholders to come up with a climate-focused investment plan. And this was done for STREP, 
for uh, for CT for uh, for PPCR and for FIP. So you had a program uh, of investment opportunities that were focused on the climate needs, and that was done in agreement with the uh, the host ministries, uh, with the MDBs, and with stakeholders. And the result of that was an investment pipeline that focused 100% on climate change. And that was really transformational. And now at the MDBs, we are trying to get that same approach where our uh, investment plans, in, in the case of the African Development Bank, we call them country strategy plans, and they're three-year or five-year documents. Uh, we need to get to the stage where those country strategy plans are also 100% focused on Paris alignment. So the CIF was really transformational in, in moving already to that model. And they've set the standard, and that is where uh, the MDBs need to try to uh, to move forward to. So big thanks and, and a lot of kudos to the CIF for uh, doing that in the first instance. Thanks. All right, Gary. Thank you so much for finding time. I appreciate that. That's a pleasure. was Mafalda Duat, the CEO of the Climate Investment Fund, and Gareth Phillips, the Climate and Environment Finance Manager at AFDB, telling us more about CIF and how they are working together to advance work in renewable energy, forestry, and resilient solutions in Africa. Remember, an episode, part of this eight-part series, will come to you every Thursday. Still, episodes will remain available on our website, www.africaclimateconversations.com where you can also access tons of other podcast series. Also, we are available across all podcast channels, such as Spotify, Apple, Google, and many others. You can stay in touch by email through info at africaclimateconversations.com or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or better yet, subscribe to receive a weekly newsletter by hitting the subscribe button on our website. Remember, the Financing Change in Africa series is made possible by a collaboration between the Africa Climate Conversations, the African Development Bank, and the Climate Investment Fund. Do not forget, Tuesday, the Mental Health series is still on. And this coming week is exciting because we will be in Baringo County where the Lake Baringo has been filling up and flooding devastating communities, and not just Lake Baringo, but also Bogoria. These lakes are part of the Rift Valley lakes that have been flooding for a couple of years now. Do not forget to join me for that, but until then, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Bogwa.